Hey there, it's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week, I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with Scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. I want to do things a little bit differently for the next couple of episodes. The Mercy Cast is going for a walk. We are going on the Camino. Over the next couple of episodes, we're going to talk about what it means to go on pilgrimage and what it means to go on the Camino de Santiago specifically. I recently went on the Camino in April. And I have had tons of people reach out and say, tell me about your experience. What was it like? And oftentimes I would answer that and just say something like, well, the food was great. I ate octopus. It was delicious. I guess I ate octopi because I ate mini octopus. But all that said, it was an incredible experience. So I want to talk about that here. Since so much of the Camino is about learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. It's about fellow travelers on their own journey. I was going through a difficult transition in life. I was looking for something, but I didn't quite know what it was. I just knew that I wanted a fresh start. So I was in New York City, and I went to meet my friend Jacob at a coffee shop in Gramercy Park. I had no idea what to expect. I figured we would just do your basic catch-up. Hey, what's been going on? What's new? But what was new in Jake's life was that he had recently come back from the Camino de Santiago, specifically the El Primitivo route. And so he told me all about it. He told me the history. He told me about the good times he had and the bad times he had on the trail. He told me about just what he learned about himself. And I walked away from that meeting and I was struck. And over the next week, I decided to head to the Camino de Santiago and do the Primitivo route. So today, I am joined by my friend, Reverend Jacob Smith, the rector of Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City, and a two-time guest on the Mercy Cast. Jake, welcome back. It's great to be back, Raleigh, and so, and especially to talk about something uh, so life-changing as the Camino de Santiago. You know, as people are listening to this episode I am on my second Camino, which I'm basically going on to continue to process the first one. So this is kind of a weird inception moment, but today I want to talk about how the Camino calls us and what it looks like to answer that call. And I'm sure I heard about it before talking to you, but something was different in that conversation. Jacob, could you share with the class what called you to the Camino? What called me to the Camino was, uh, and the first time I walked it was in 2018, and we basically had taken a church pilgrimage there. And so one of our parishioners had walked the Camino and said, this is an amazing experience. And I'd always kind of, you know, heard about how kind of cool it was, and I liked hiking. So I thought, well, if we put this together, we can take a group from the church, you know, and it's kind of spiritual, sort of religious, and we all like hiking, so it'll be a lot of fun. And little... 
little did I know that when uh, we arrived uh, the first time and we began with the church for the last hundred kilometers of the Primitivo, that I would be uh, transported um, on a life-changing experience on a real pilgrimage. And the pilgrimage is profoundly different than a vacation. That's absolutely true. A lot of people think, wow, look at the pictures and look at the food. That was amazing. I bet you're ready to come back to work. And I'm like, no, that was work. Yeah. You mentioned that a pilgrimage is different from a vacation. It's different from a hike. I, I compared it to the Bermuda Triangle of hiking. I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but something's mm-hmm. happening. Could you describe what is a pilgrimage and why is that important for us? Maybe a bigger question is, is so what is a pilgrimage in light of its difference from a vacation? Because mm, a lot good. of the times people will say to you, you know, how was your vacation? And, and it's not a vacation. Uh, really, um, a pilgrimage is, is to, one, be beckoned by God to something, to, to a real encounter with Him. And so the first distinction of a pilgrimage over a vacation is, is a pilgrimage is defined by prayer. And so you, you meet other people on a similar journey, and, and the whole thing is covered in prayer. And so each day kind of begins with prayer. It ends in prayer. As you're walking along the road and walking along the sites, there's a, a lot of prayer. So a pilgrimage versus a vacation is totally and intentionally surrounded by prayer. The second characteristic of a pilgrimage is communion. And uh, so what that prayer, is, it's, as it's covered in prayer, creates is a sense of communion with the other pilgrims who are on the journey. And there's this like kind of great equalizer on it. And then I would say that the third characteristic of a pilgrimage versus a vacation is is its transformational uh, nature. You know, a vacation tends to be inwardly focused and can have little to no lasting impact on your life. I mean, sure, waiting in the line for 10 hours at Disney World was amazing, you know, but uh, but it doesn't leave really a lasting impact on your life. A pilgrimage should never leave you the same way. There's a great author on pilgrimages, James Harper, who wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Journey, A History of Pilgrimage in the Western World. And he describes this transformation that takes place as a sacred metamorphosis. And he says that when this metamorphosis occurs, it signifies not the end of the journey, but the start, a gateway into a new way of being, of seeing life afresh with spiritually cleansed eyes. And I think anybody who walks the Camino Santiago as a pilgrimage comes back with spiritually cleansed eyes. I think that's a very important point. So those are the three things that I would say distinguish a pilgrimage from a vacation. Uh, It's covered in prayer. It connects you to other pilgrims in a holy communion. And then three, it's transformational because the Holy Spirit really does something to you. And that's absolutely true. From my experience, you go on this And it's way more than a hike. I like to hike. I like to walk. I like to walk about 10 miles a day if I can. And I love it. It's a great time to just slow down. But there's something about the Camino where as you're walking, you're right. You are connecting with other people. And you may go there alone, but you don't leave alone. You end up Mm. meeting new people, having community, and really learning what it means to be present, not just with people, but with yourself. We can be so distracted, but when you walk the Camino, you're basically pushing those distractions to the side. Mm. Mm. And I do love this idea of metamorphosis because I think that's it. Not in the Kafka sort of way, 
But maybe you do. It's maybe in a transfiguration sort of way, like Jesus on the mountain. Yeah, yeah, I, I would go with Jesus and not Kafka on this one. I, I think that would be wise. And so, yeah, you do. Something changes, and it's this beautiful thing. And everyone that I know that has gone on the Camino, they'll all describe the same things. But then if you haven't gone on the Camino, you can't really understand because it's different. The calling to the Camino is one where you are called to leave things behind and go to another country. You're called to really look at the baggage you're carrying, not only your physical baggage, but your emotional and psychological baggage. You can only carry so much. So there is a real call to release in the calling to Camino. And I think that is what caught me. Because as you shared your story of how you connected to the history of the Camino and how you were one of many who've been walking this for over 1,200 years, something in me was challenged. Jake, could you tell us a little bit about the history of the Camino? Essentially, so you have St. James the Great. He was the James that was with Jesus on the Transfiguration. James and his brother John and uh, Peter were part of Jesus's inner circle. And the hagiography, this is the saint sainthood history of James, was is that after the Great Commission, James took Jesus's words literally and went to the very ends of the earth. And he went and evangelized a group of people that lived in what would be northern Spain today called the Castros. These were the Galician tribes that lived along, the Galician people that lived along northern Spain, and he went and evangelized them. And, I mean, great miracles happened. People came to faith in Jesus, and a church was established. And so James, as we read in the book of Acts, was called back for the Council of Jerusalem, where he was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. And the story, the hagiography is, is that his remains were taken back to Galicia, which is the region of northern Spain. And there he was laid to rest. And a small chapel was built that fast forward to about the late 700s, there was a Moorish raid that supposedly destroyed the chapel. And and then a miracle began to happen and these stars began to fall. And so, and in the next kingdom over, because Spain is a relatively a new idea, the kingdom of Osterius, there was a king by the name of Alfonso II, also known as Alfonso the Chaste. That's an exciting nickname. But he was the king and he had heard about these stars falling. And so he left his capital in Oviedo in 814 to travel to where this supposed miracle was happening. And there he found the remains of St. James with the stars falling. This is where we get Compostela from. And he built the first basically church there. And and so basically the original route, the route we, you and I walked was the Primitivo. It followed the footsteps of King Alfonso the Chase. And then over the years, centuries, especially when uh, the Moors in the South and then the Turks in the East blocked pilgrimage to Jerusalem, many Christians began to travel from all over Europe to visit and pay homage to this wonderful, wonderful reliquary, this, this place where James's bodies laid to rest. And then many different routes began to develop. And so now you have not only the primitive route, the first one that we walked, but there's the French way, the German way. There's the Camino de Plata, which begins in Granada, southern Spain, and goes up. I'm hoping that next year to do the Camino Portugues, which begins in Lisbon and goes all the way up to Compostela in uh, Spain. And so this is how it all really began. And, and Christians from all over have gone on this journey 
to really get in touch with themselves, to find healing, both in taking on this journey, but as you've said so beautifully, uh, leaving something from their past that's weighing them down behind. I know my last walk, what I left behind was kind of all of the baggage that came with COVID. I mean, if you were a pastor during COVID, you couldn't win. There was, you know, everybody hated you and nobody thought you were running the church right. And so I needed some healing when I um, came out of the pandemic and I walked and um, essentially I carried all of that baggage with me on my pack and emotionally. And there's a moment there, the first moment you can see the cathedral on the horizon there following King Alfonso's steps, I left my baggage there and uh, laid that, to quote Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, I laid that burden down. That is so beautiful. And it's so right. Hmm. Because if you just go on this journey and you're not connecting to the history, you're not connecting to the spiritual aspects, you can still have a good time. But there's something about it that invites you to do that. Even if you are an accidental pilgrim, even if you just got lost on a long walk, you will start connecting with people and hearing their stories and hearing how everyone there, they recognize their flaws, they recognize their imperfections, and they're not trying to be perfect. But what they are trying to do is understand what got them there, understand how to heal, understand how to figure out what the next step is. And I love how you describe you leaving things as you could see the cathedral on the horizon. There is nothing like that. You are basically in the forest. You're in the woods. You're walking a path. And there are crags. There are times where it goes straight up. There are times where it goes straight down. There are times where you want to trip. There are times literally where you have to climb up roots to get to a certain place. And it's not that bad, mm -hmm. but still it requires something of you. And so at that moment, when you see the destination, you have these conflicting feelings. One, mm. you're so excited to see it. But two, you don't want the journey to end. It's almost like you want to turn around. And I saw some people who would turn around and start walking back. And it was this beautiful thing of like, I'm not done. There's something still happening in me and I want to see that to fruition. And so as we're doing this, you said, yes, that King Alphonse or King Alfonso did the first Camino, but we also know that people have been walking this route since about 6,000 BCE, not necessarily Christians, but these people they would not stop in Santiago de Compostela. They would stop at a place called Finisterre, which literally means the end of the world. So these people would walk all the way through northern Spain to where the land meets the water and they can just look into the horizon. Mm. And so for years, people have been walking this way and you're able to be a part of it. And it's such a beautiful thing. I think that... It's a great thing because it reminds you that I think there's so much in our own uh, kind of Americanity that we've developed that it's just kind of me and Jesus. And, you know, and there is a part of that on the Camino. But the other thing about the Camino is it really becomes a, it becomes, if you will, a thin place. And you really step into the footsteps of the church that's gone before you. And you realize that, I mean, that's a beautiful thing is that one, you know, because you do meet so many different types of Christians. I mean, on my trip, we met 
every shade of Protestant you could possibly meet. We met we met Roman Catholics, we met Orthodox Christians, we met all sorts of people. And and so you really begin to realize that there's a breadth and the depth of the church that's bigger than you. But you begin to realize too that because there's a lot of people that treat the Camino de Santiago almost like it's like like it's kind of the Appalachian Trail in Europe. Because they're not there on any spiritual thing, but uh, the struggle. And as you mentioned earlier, like there are some hills and some real, like real climbs. The struggle is real, and you begin to really see the frailty that's found in our common humanity. And I'll never forget that, you know, when you walk the Camino de Santiago, there are these mile markers along the way that tell you how far, and they have this amazing scallop shell on them that point towards the direction of Santiago. And there was one particular day I was feeling extra pious, and I was kind of <laughs> resentful about all of these because uh, when you get to uh, Malite, and that mm-hmm. is where the French route, the Northern route, and the Primitivo all meet, and then so from that moment on, you're all walking together, and it, you know you go from running into maybe a couple of pilgrims a day to all of a sudden there's like thirty people on the trail, and I was feeling kind of like ah oh, these people are ruining my vibe, and uh, I'm here on this spiritual trip, and these people are clearly walking the Appalachian Trail. And down below, we started up this hill, and it said there was some graffiti on the mile marker, and it said, God loves you. And I thought to myself, well, of course he does. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm pretty lovable, and I'm here on this amazing, (laughs) pious journey. And as we began to walk up the hill, and you began to see the struggle, and everybody just kind of helping each other, some one lady, she couldn't do her pack anymore. And so, you know, I wish I would have been me, but I didn't. I just kind of passed her, but <laughs> somebody else grabbed her pack and like walked her up to the top. And a few other people were helping each other. And they, uh, and it was just this kind of beautiful thing. And you get to the top and someone's sharing a bar with someone else. And then there was this graffiti on the wall at the next marker up at the top of the hill. And it said, Somos juntos todos. We're all in this together. And, and man, that is a that's a the great leveling of the Camino is that everybody's got issues. And you begin to realize, I mean, Christians from every stripe and even people in the world are struggling with things. And that in this world, our outlook as Christians shouldn't be like, dang, look how awesome I am. But uh, we're actually all in this together. And that really, I don't know, refreshed my views of our common humanity that are very important and we can quickly forget. Especially, you know, when we're thinking about things that are going on right now in the world, you know, whether it be with Gaza and Israel, you know, I mean, how quick we are in America to like think that it's just a black and white things, you know what I mean? But you begin to realize, and there's bad guys and there's good guys. And I mean, I fall into that real quick, but, and you forget that, man, we're called to pray for every human being and uh, to be, to remember that we're all made in the image of God and we have a common humanity. And so, and that's one of the great things that this pilgrimage uh, has put me in touch with. And so that there is a common humanity and we're all ultimately in this together. You know, I'm, this isn't a pitch for universal salvation, so don't freak out anybody. But what <laughs> I am saying is, is that there is a, we're all, every human being is carrying baggage. And just like the Camino, so many of us start alone, but you don't have mm. to stay that way. I remember. You never do. You never do. I mean, nothing like a couple of bottles of wine to put you in touch with like an Irish guy who then winds up walking with you for like five days. And then you're still texting with him two years later on WhatsApp. You know what I mean? That's my friend, Irish Paul. I don't know his last name at all. I just call him Irish Paul, but we're like friends on um, WhatsApp and and we talk all the time because we have this experience. Well, and it's so interesting because I'm sitting there in Oviedo, and that's the starting point. You start in Oviedo, 
And you're supposed to start at the statue of King Alfonso, which is right in front of the Church of San Salvador. So the Cathedral of San Salvador. So I'm sitting there and I'm on the phone with a friend of mine the night before. I mean, it was a night for me. I think it was like morning for my friend. But I'm like, hey, could you pray? Because I don't really want to walk out of Oviedo by myself. I would like to walk with someone, but I don't know anyone here. And so I walk down the hill into the city. I walk to the cathedral. It's about 645 and there's one guy. You met Irish Paul. I met Austrian Andy. And so Austrian Andy and I, I don't know his last name either, but I looked at him and I said, so you walk in the Camino and it was clear that he was walking the Camino. Okay. He had his backpack. He had his sticks and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you want to walk together? It was seventh grade. It was perfect. I was just like, you want to walk to, you want to be my friend? And he was like, yeah, let's walk together. So we start walking and we're chatting it up. We're laughing. He's asking me about my training regimen and I'm finding out that he's from Austria and how the mountains that we're going to experience on the Camino are nothing to him. And I found that out that day as we started going up and my Floridian behind was struggling a little bit. I'm like, just give me two minutes to breathe. I just want to breathe and I'll get right back. Because it takes you about three days for your body to realize that you're not in Kansas anymore. And then when your body realizes, hey, I'm on the Camino, something switches. And it's just like, we can do this. Let's go. But that day I met him and it was interesting because the first couple of days after I'd felt this call, now I'd answered it. Now I'm there. But, but I wasn't really there yet. Mm. Because I think to really be on the Camino, you need to understand that the Camino could very well be the most difficult and beautiful thing that you've experienced in a very long time. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned thin places. I couldn't even see them the first three days because I was just a tourist. Hmm. But after I started suffering a little bit, my feet started to go south. I started... I'm in my 40s, so I felt a pain in my foot, and that pain just kind of traveled all throughout my body the entire trip. I'm like, this is terrible, but I love every minute of it. It was incredible. I started to notice. I started to slow down. I started to be present, and it was life-changing. You mentioned stopping in Melide and everyone kind of pouring in there. I mean, I was the only American really on my trail for a long time, and I felt very special. Then all of a sudden, I get to the Molita, and everyone's American. I mean, everyone took Frances, and they're, they're here. And you're right. It goes from being kind of a dinghy. You're like on a dinghy out at sea on the Primitivo. But then when you get to Molita and Frances shows up, you're on a party cruise. And so that is hard. That is tricky. But isn't that like life, Jake? Don't you think that the Camino is like a little life? Yeah, that's the whole point of it. And so that is the whole point of it. And you never know, like we've said before when we were talking about it, you know, you never know what the Camino, what each day is going to bring. And so you really learn to live on a pilgrimage, as especially the Camino de Santiago, as Jesus taught. You know what I mean? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's got enough troubles, or for today has enough troubles. And so that's enough. And that's, that's true. You're dealing with all sorts of things. And so 
Yes, the Camino is exactly like life, whether it be dealing with all of humanity or whether it's just dealing with the influx of new people that may come into your life or just dealing with the physical ailments that come with walking, you know, between 18 and 20 miles a day. Just like life, you never know what's coming around the corner. Mm. You can't depend on the future because you don't know the future. Mm. Everything's an educated guess. And so what I love about that is when you get on the Camino, you, you are, at least for me, I was dead set on finishing. I'm like, I've got to finish this path. I've got to finish this route. And the very first day I get to Grotto, which is about 18 miles away from Oviedo. Mm-hmm. And it was a hike. And I get there and I message you. And I said, I just took my shoe off and my foot has swollen to like a gargantuan extent. And if you don't know, I've had problems with my feet. This particular foot has broken a couple of times. And so I had a feeling that it could break, but I kept, you know, I was acting brave and I was acting macho. I was like, you know what though, if it breaks, I'll just wrap it up and I'll keep walking. Well, I kind of expected something to happen about 10 days in to where I only had three more days to walk on it. No, this was day one. I could barely put any weight on this foot. And I reached out to you and a couple of other people. And I was like, please pray for me. And you're like, I'll pray for you, but also take ibuprofen. And so really, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit and ibuprofen were my guides through that experience. Like, I got Mm -hmm. through it because I depended on both of them. And I love how, just like in life, you think you know what it's about until it smacks you in the face and then opens your eyes to really the beauty of being on the journey. I love what you've said. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but I tell everybody about your favorite dish in Galicia. Oh man. So I had to eat pulpo. Yeah. And I had to learn how to pronounce it first though, because I was with my buddy Kiko, who you'll hear in the next episode, but Kiko and I walked together for about eight or nine days and I'm like, man, let's get some pupo. And he's like, <laughs> you don't, you know, you don't want pupo, buddy. Um, it's pulpo, pulpo. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that matters. Mm-hmm. I guess that matters. So you love the octopus, especially when you're in Galicia. It's delicious. And what's fun is when you sit down for a pilgrim's meal, and if you've never been on a Camino, a pilgrim's meal is this incredibly reasonably priced mm-hmm. meal where you get about three courses, a choice of beverage, whatever you want, really. The world is yours in this moment. But every now and then you can find one with, with pulpo. And so I sit down. And then when you sit down to eat, people just kind of show up. People, hey, can I sit with you? People that you met on the trail. It's like this instant familial bonding thing is happening. And it's happening over a meal, which is very biblical. We see this throughout the pages of scripture, that people are connecting over meals. And there's this idea of, well, I may not have a house that I can invite you over to, but I can invite you into my space. And people show hospitality, they meet each other's needs, and they really have deep conversations. And so for Mm. me, the food was incredible, but the people made the experience. The people that I ate with on a daily basis, whether they were from Colombia or Hamburg, Germany or Bristol in the UK or Scotland or Canada. These people really brought levity, 
but also seriousness to the task ahead. How about you? What was your favorite thing that you ate? Well, I loved the Pilgrim's Meals as well. My favorite, I would say, is, well, we got the Pilgrim's Meal all the time, but I loved like the Bogadillos. Mm. You know what those are? Those Mm -hmm. little like snacks that they give. So me and my buddy, we always started at about five in the morning so we could be done walking by like noon before it got really hot. And and so we'd always finish and that's kind of like when they're starting to serve like little like tapas. So I'm always a huge fan of nibblers and take me to any party. I prefer the appetizer hour. Sure. And so we just, we get all these little different little crazy tapas, you know, pigs in a blanket. I bet you clean up at uh, Costco. Oh man, dude, Costco's amazing. (laughs) Have you seen that funny uh, thing about a guy and he's like, he gives his wife two hearts and one is cook dinner at home or take you to dinner in an exclusive club. And then she chooses that and he takes her to Costco for a slice of pizza. <laughs> so amazing. I love Costco. But anyway, but yeah, man, I cleaned, I clean up on those little things. But, you know, I bring out of like some ham and some cheese and just I was living my dream right there. I loved that. And then we take a long siesta. That was the other thing I really appreciated yes. about Spain is they really do take nap time serious. And I find the things that I thought were punishment when I was a little kid are now like the things that I long for, like naps and not having to go out in the evening. So we'd finish, you know, eating all those nibblers and we'd go take a four hour nap and then go down for dinner and uh, around six or seven. And man, most Spaniards don't even go to dinner till like 10 p.m. So we were always like the early bird. And and then we were in bed by like nine and ready to go. And, you know, and that's something I, if you do decide to do it and you want to get in touch with Raleigh or I, I'd be happy to, you know, it was powerful to pray. Like we prayed what's called the daily office every day on that journey. We prayed morning and evening prayer and noonday prayer. And it really, um, from the Book of Common Prayer, and it really made a huge difference and really kept the thing covered in prayer the whole time. I'll never forget the second day when I'm hiking. I'm putting a little weight on my foot. I walk with someone from Sweden. We go to a little cafe and it's about 6 a.m. And the cafe had just opened and they opened for pilgrims. And of course, we get, you know, a pastry and a cafe con leche. And then we just start walking straight up a mountain, Mm. straight up a mountain. And then, you know, that day was work. Then you go straight up and then you got to go straight down. And then the foothills kind of, they were, they were a workout because my body hadn't really crossed over yet. And so I get to this small village of a town that they have ramparts that were built by the former grand inquisitor of the Spanish inquisition. And I'm walking through and I go to Casa Sueño where I was staying And I walk up to the person behind the desk at my albergue, and he's from Central America. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, look, we're both Americans. And I'm like, you're exactly right. We're both Americans. And we start talking and he's telling me about everything. He just wants to talk. He got the job because he wanted to talk to pilgrims because he saw just how important it was to connect with people when they are processing the things that they're processing. And so we're talking and he's telling me about this eighth century chapel that's in the mountains. And I'm like, oh, I want to go see that. And he goes, you need to rest. You've got a long Camino ahead of you. You need to chill out and go to sleep. And he was basically enforcing nap time. I mean, I felt like I was in kindergarten again, but you're right. Nap time matters. I would go out just a little before dinner, which is like 7 p.m. And 
I've walked out, or actually nine, but seven for pilgrims because pilgrims are asleep by nine. But I walk out and no one's out there. It's siesta. There's nothing going on. They don't start showing up till about five or six. Yeah. And it was, it was so incredible because everything's centered on being present and resting and relationships. Like those three things seem to really drive the Camino for a lot of us who are walking. Mm. So we've talked about what we liked eating. For you, what was it like to stay in an albergue? And explain what an albergue is for those who may not know what they are, because I've mentioned it, but I haven't explained it. Well, an albergue is a, like, basically, uh, it's like a hostel where other pilgrims stay. And so you basically have a bunk and then you have a, uh, what is it, like a footlocker. And so, and that's basically what you put your stuff in. Am I right? Is that what you, was that where, the, where you stayed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a it's a very interesting experience. I did it a couple of times, and <laughs> there were a couple of times I had to have my own room because, uh, quite frankly, I couldn't handle the snoring. And so, the snoring is so <laughs> bad, man. You got to get the skull. I think they're called skull crusher yeah, earplugs. So, uh, so confessions. I didn't stay in many albergues, so but I stayed uh, right next to one, and so anyway, but uh, so we kind of cheated on that that regard. But I mean, I think the but the overall point being is the importance of rest, and you know, I mean, I just am walking through the Book of Hebrews right now, and in Hebrews four and five, the author of Hebrews mentions that Jesus is our rest over and over and over again, and I think. I mean, this is why I would recommend, especially pastors, to take a take a time off and go on the Camino de Santiago and reflect on your life. Even if you're like a you know a non-denom pastor and pilgrimage is unfamiliar to you, or maybe this is freaking you out just a little bit, it's totally it's really really important because it allows you to reset. And I think so much in our life, we uh, begin to think in the pastorate that everything is about kind of us. And to take a, take a time and to step out and to really focus and work a little bit on your interior life and your prayer life and to really rest and realize that um, God is still at work even in your church without you is a really wonderful thing. I met a guy actually on the Camino. He was a non-denom pastor from San Diego, and, and uh, he had just retired after 37 years of ministry at his church. And he was walking the Camino uh, because he was like, my whole life has now changed and I've never really rested. And uh, this is blowing my mind. And he actually started way over in France. So, I mean, I mean, by the time we, we all caught up, he had already been on the Camino for about a month. So, but I, I do recommend it because that is the best, that's the best part of it, whether you're in an Alberque or whether you stay in a little hotel and like I said, we only stayed in like one stars, but a couple of times I just needed some sleep because Irish Paul was snoring way too loud. And so um, Irish Paul. The, uh, the, uh, the point is, is that it, it gives you a chance to get away and really um, uh, see God move in your life uh, deeply in the interior and also see God move in your church and move wherever you're at, wherever you're serving uh, without you. No, that's exactly it. I wouldn't even say you're pressing pause on your life. If anything, I think we're pressing play, but we're stepping out of our comfort zones. We're stepping out of our normal nine to five expectations, 
what we do on the regular and we're stepping into something very new. One of the passage, one of the passages that kept coming up for me as I was hiking, especially those first few days was Jeremiah 6, 16, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it. And there you will find rest for your souls. Well, I thought this was really interesting because what I found throughout my devotional time as I was walking and really seeking God as I was walking, I noticed a lot of verses came up about choosing your way and God being present with you as you're on your way. And I started thinking about this verse specifically, ask where the good way is and you will find rest for your souls. Well, I was looking for rest like your Mm -hmm. pastor friend you met. I was looking for it. But one thing they say throughout your journey on the Camino is you'll walk by Spaniards, you'll walk by people who are at the albergues, even the people who they're getting ready as you're leaving in the morning, they'll say, Buen Camino, Buen Mm -hmm. Camino, which means a good way. Mm. And I remember finishing the Camino and having this kind of heaviness on me. It was like, I was done with the hike, but I wasn't done with my Camino. And Alexander John Shia, who I will interview in the next few episodes, Shia said that it's because this is your turnaround point. You're not done. Now you take your Camino home. Because the ancient people who would walk this pilgrimage, they would walk for about seven months one way. They would go and go to the cathedral. They would see the bones of St. James. And then they would walk seven months back. And so mm-hmm. as I'm sitting there, a passage comes to mind, and it's, it's this passage in Matthew, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For those of us who are believers... Jesus is the ultimate destination of your Camino. It's not Santiago de Compostela, though that's incredible. We don't finish our Camino till we find Jesus at the end of it. And he is inviting us on this journey. And I love how in that passage, he's also fulfilling Jeremiah 6.16. When we ask where the ancient paths are, when we ask where the good way is it, Jesus is saying, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And to know that the rest we seek can be found in Jesus is a beautiful thing. And I think the pilgrimage to the Camino de Santiago is an opportunity for us to tap into something bigger than us, to gain perspective, to gain courage, to change the things that we know we probably should, and to let things go that we can't change. Jake, In our last couple of moments, how would you encourage people who they've listened to us go back and forth, but they're not quite sure if the Camino is for them? What would I say to them that say that the Camino is not for them? That's a great question. I would say, well, why isn't it for you? And um, I I think it's just, uh, um, you know, and and maybe it's not. It's maybe it's not for you. Uh, but actually, um, it is if you are carrying a burden. It is if you want to uh, 
kind of experience a, a, a an opportunity to spend some real quality time in prayer. It is if you want to experience a sense of a holy communion uh, with um, other pilgrims and those walking along the way. And it is if you're ready for a transformational moment. It is if you're ready to leave something down and have your eyes opened. And as you said, when you get to Santiago, it may uh, seem a little sad because the Camino has just ended. But that transformational moment always reminds you uh, that um, actually you're at the start of a new chapter. Uh, something That's brand exactly new. It. Something new has come. Hmm. Jake, thank you so much for talking about this with me. This has been awesome. Well, thank you for having me on your show again, Raleigh. It's great to be here. If you are interested in more stories like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at mercycast.com. This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.